Hello and welcome to the Basketball Champions League Coast to Coast podcast with you from Regensburg, Germany. I'm David Hein and with me, my partner in crime, Igor Jerkovic. Igor, how are you doing? Uh, doing fine as always, Dave, and ready to get this going. Yeah, um, we had seven games this week. One, uh, one game fell victim to COVID-19 and had to be, had to be moved back. Uh, but uh, all all is okay because we have changed the format uh, this year, so we have a little bit of leeway, a little bit of space here and there. Uh, but all in all, we had uh, some exciting games. Chalet getting their first victory ever in the competition. There was also the surprise victory of Bucken Bears knocking off Danimo Sassari, and um, and we had Casa de Saragossa moving to three and zero. Those probably the big three highlights. Of the week, looking at the standout performances of the of the week, we had Casey Shepard doing great things for Nizhny against Luplin with 19 points, hit uh, four of six three pointers. Sasu Salin went crazy uh, for Tenerife against Galatasaray with 34 points, eight of 11 three pointers. Have a feeling we'll talk about that later. Uh, Wojtek Ruban doing. Ruban thinks uh, for Nimburg against uh, Karafnos, 17 points, four rebounds, four assists. Favessa Fofana, great game for Chalet in the surprise over Ike with 22 points and six rebounds. And Deshaun, uh, Deshaun Stevens uh, from the aforementioned Bucken Bears with uh, 15 points, 12 rebounds, three assists, two blocks, 11 offensive rebounds against Sasari. Uh, what do you think about that team? Uh, which ones? Asari or fucking Bears? <laughs> no, about the, the standout performances. Uh, but the, yeah, I mean, hard to argue with anything of that, especially with Salen going crazy. Uh, I mean, kind of surprised that Fofana made it into, into the team, not because of this game, but because uh, the way he's, he just kind of uh, kicked the door wide open and introduced himself like, okay, this is what I do. Earlier in the French league, he barely played against Dijon. So that's just another testament that Cholet are going to be rising and going to be good in a couple of days, in a couple of weeks, and hopefully for them uh, in the second stage of the competition. Yeah, I don't. Um, I, I, you know, I mean, who would you who would you put in there instead? I mean, you know, you could you can maybe maybe consider. Um, you know, Chris Johnson with Holone, maybe Dylan Ennis, uh, Dylan Ennis with uh, Saragossa, you know, had a couple of big offensive rebounds late to kind of uh, make sure that uh, Falco didn't uh, come back. But all in all, you know, hard to complain. Yeah, exactly. Especially because they defeated Ike. And Ike was previously unbeaten and uh, Cholet didn't have a win until this week so basically it made sense to have somebody from Cholet on the team uh, yeah for sure yeah. we also had our first team eliminated from the race for the playoffs that being Karafnos at uh, 0-4 for the interview we talked to James Bell from Happy, Canta- uh, Happy Casa Brindisi so look forward to uh, that interview coming up in a little bit um, uh, Igor this this week uh, has his uh, v- MVP race. I think we had him doing that for last week, but uh, some things happened. 
So, but that's coming out uh, today on Friday, when you hear this, on Friday. And then uh, next week on Monday, uh, start your week with his uh, power rankings. Uh, yeah, we were supposed to have both of those uh, already out, but some uh, minor issues with the execution of the MVP race happened, and we had to move it for Friday. And as for power rankings, I really wanted to have them on Monday. But a lot of teams just didn't play any games from the last time we had the power rankings and the break and everything. So kind of made no sense because it would be so little movement, like be just a couple of places compared to the last power rankings. So probably better to do it next week. Yeah, sure. Uh, let's get to the action. Uh, start uh, go group by group. Uh, group A was uh, really two really uh, interesting games. We had Galatasaray losing at home um, to Sasu Salin and uh, Tenerife 104-89. Tenerife moving to 3-1, and one, Galatasaray dropping to 1-3. and three. And then um, Bakken Bears also moving to 1-3 and three with a 93-71 win down in Italy um, uh, at Sassari to drop to three and one. Um, quite a few talking points. I'll let you start on this group. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of underestimated the power of Sasu Salin over the past couple of years because mm. all the focus was on Marcelino Huertas and Jorge Shermadini. And obviously, Salin does a lot of good things geometrically for their team because, I mean, the way he moves without a ball, the angles that he takes on the screens, he's like the prime Kyle Corver of the BCL because he runs, he, he doesn't need to take like 10 dribbles to score 30 points because he's catch and shoot, catch and shoot, and he's in constant motion. And it's crazy, crazy, crazy how good of a game he played. He scored 34 points, which is the most he scored ever in a game since 2009. So 11 years ago in the Finnish league, he scored 35 points. And that's that's just a testament to his um, like longevity and everything that he does because, I mean, he's the silent killer over there. And you know what happens, like, you know you're going to get, okay, Marcelino didn't play, but you know you're going to get 10 assists by Huertas. You're going to get 12, 20 and 10 from Shermadini. But if Salin makes a couple of three-pointers, you're done because it changes your defensive focus, opens up the doors for the other guys because you're going to overreact to Salin and then Spencer Butterfield will go five for five from beyond the arc and nobody will say a word about it, which <laughs> is completely crazy because that's what Spencer Butterfield did in this game. So Tenerife are just unreal right now. Like The, the most bizarre part about Tenerife season is that they have the seventh best start in the history of the Spanish league at 12-1-1. <laughs> and they're second. <laughs> and they're so dominant in the Basketball Champions League. And they're second. They're still behind Sassari. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they're all tiebreakers. I mean, that, that's so bizarre. I mean, what you saw really also is just, um, again, uh, how quick this team can score. I mean, you know, they were down by 10 with four minutes left in the third quarter. And, you know, Galatasaray was playing really well and, you know, they were trying to control the tempo and everything. And then 
after the timeout, you know, um, Salim goes bang, 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 three threes, and and yeah. really, you that you could you could tell the the game was the game was changed for sure, and then once once Butterfield uh, started hitting a couple in that as well, and and then you knew it was over. There was there was no way that Galatasaray was going to be able to to keep up with them or or really stop it because once that once that. Um, once that once that motor starts uh, uh, and the car is moving, it's it's not gonna stop, man. Yeah, I was doing the game for Croatian TV over here, and then like when that ten point lead opened up in third quarter, I said, "Okay, this is probably the time that we have to check the tiebreaker because mm-hmm. Tenerife won the first matchup by thirty. Mm-hmm. So basically, Galatasaray were within reach of that difference, <laughs> like." The old good old commentators curse came back at me because it, it, right at the moment when I said that we should keep an eye on the overall tiebreaker, Sasusal and kit four straight three pointers, and just like that, it was a Tenerife game to win or lose. Let's move to the other game, uh, Black and Bears. Uh, their first road victory in the history of the competition. They had one victory in there in the initial season uh, in the league. Uh, you know, one of the things that I found most interesting about this game is, is that until now, we've always been saying, you know, they've, you know, they started really well and, uh, just haven't been able to take, um, uh, keep it up. And, and, um, and if you will, you know, giving that punch in the face to the other team and this time they got punched in the face, they were down by 13 points in the first quarter and then came back. And I think that's the thing that impressed me most. I mean, of, of course, there's the way they played and, 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 and also how bad Sasari played. But just the fact that, that, that Bucking Bears was able to withstand that initial punch and then just say, okay, let's just chip away at it and come back. And then, and then it, it just kind of, um, you know, they, they only had seven players. Really, basically, seven players played. You know, the other guy played less than two minutes, and that was the eighth player. So it was basically this rotation, and that's it. And we'll just go with it, and it worked. Um, y- your thoughts on that? Listen, like, Bucking Bears are the token team of what this competition is supposed to be. They're perennial champs in their own league. Uh, they've been doing good stuff in the FIBA Europe Cup for the past couple of years. They just needed a break, and in a tough group like this, they they have three elite teams in their group. They played good three games in their three defeats, and they led against Tenerife. They led against Galatasaray. They led against Sassari. They are not just like a blowout team that other teams will use to set their points difference, which we kind of assume to be too. We also underestimated them, but they're a serious team, and and. They just, they play so well together. Their scouting is amazing because guys like Diouf and Ongwe could play anywhere else. Guys like QJ Peterson will play somewhere else in a couple of years when they get some European experience behind them. So this is an elite club from top to bottom. And I really enjoy watching them. I'm a big fan of everything they do. And this, this win they had kept Galatasaray alive. Mm-hmm. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I'm not sure that Galatasaray are going to have an easy task in Arus Arena on January 5th when they have to play Bucking Bears to start 2021. <laughs> so 
Bucking Bears could still advance from this group, which is completely crazy since they were 0-3, but crazier things have happened in the Basketball Champions League too. Well, I've said all, we say it all the time. You, 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 you want to avoid and you want to get big victories slash big losses. You know, you, 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 you know, twenty-two points that makes up the difference. That I think it was a ten, if I'm not mistaken, ten or twelve-point loss in the first game. Um, so, yeah. Um, if it's okay, let's move to the next one. Next group is uh, Group B. I don't really have too much to say. Um, ERA Nimburg uh, really blowing past. Uh, Karavnos 102-69, obviously, like we said, eliminating Karavnos and Ninbrook, uh, moving to 3-1. and one. Uh, This was the, I guess, probably blowout most people expected. Not really too much to say about uh, about this one. Yeah, just one thought or sentence. I think I already mentioned that uh, uh, one of my friends played against Ninbrook uh, in a preseason game uh, before the season started. He said, Wojtek Gruban is the Czech Clay Thompson. <laughs> so I kind of like that. And at the same point, I don't because he's just like a genuine Wojtek Gruban highlight player who became an all-star five player last season for us in this league. So he's doing his thing. He's building up a legacy. Nimburg and Nimburg are building up their own legacy in terms of international competition. Yeah, they're they're blowing out teams that they should blow out, and that's you know what good teams um, are supposed to do. Which I guess kind of brings us to Group C, where you most people would have thought that Ike should have blown out a team like Cholet, um, and uh, ended up Cholet getting the victory, seventy nine seventy. Cholet moving to one and three, Ike uh, dropping to three and one. Ike had a chance, had a chance to uh, advance to the playoffs. Uh, but uh, that did not happen. And in the other game of the group, we had Hapul Halon uh, defeat Smoky Minsk 75-71. Both teams at 2-2. Two and two. Smoky Minsk uh, has the tiebreaker because they took the game uh, in, in Israel uh, by 10 points. So the tiebreaker does go to Smoky Minsk. Uh, thoughts on this group? Um, I watched Cholet against Dijon over the weekend. And... I was really impressed with everything they've done. They brought in Aaron Jones from Bilbao, mm-hmm. and just another another big guy who can help in their front court rotation means a whole lot to Coach Erwin Kunter. You know that Coach Kunter has been around for ages, and it's his tenth season, I think, with Cholet. And basically, like he's got all the tricks up his sleeve. And even though they were down at zero and three, this is now a wide open group, and I would kind of think that they're the favorites to actually pick up the second spot behind Ike if Ike do end up winning the group. Uh, Cholet will have to defeat Smoky Minsk, who are without Maxim Salas for the rest of the season. He moved to San Pablo Burgos. And then Cholet are playing at home against Hapoel Holon. So they have two key games at home remaining and basically could go 3-3 three and three at the end of the regular season which could be good enough to advance in a group like this. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, are you worried at all about uh, about Ike? You know, they had an eight-point lead late in the third and uh, and not being able to, to finish off uh, against a team like Chalet where you would think that they should be able to? Mm, not really, because there's... 
they do have two away games, two road games to finish off the, the regular season. But they they're playing against Smoky Minsk on the last game day, and I kind of see them winning that one. So that should be enough to take them to four and two, even if they lose away at Holon. And mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not sure if I'm willing to say that Hapoel Holon are favorites against Dyke, even in Israel. So I'm not worried about them. And I mean, to be honest, Ike have been so good that kind of feels good to finally see them lose a game. I don't want them to blow out steam like in December and then end up losing everything in May. That That's not the way it works. Like That's what Croatian coach Nevin Spakia would always tell us. Like any coach, any team he coached, he would say, don't overestimate the Octobers and Novembers. The goal is to look good in April and May mm-hmm. when the trophies are handed out. And that's what Ike have been doing. Like they, they always get better in the second half of the season. So I'm not worried at all. And even now they got Kingsley Moses. Like <laughs> that's amazing pickup, especially with Yannick Moreira. They're going to fit so well together like they did in Peristeri. So I'm not worried the least bit about Ike. And alone? Them knocking off uh, Minsk, uh, it was a it was a ten point lead with three minutes left, and and Minsk uh, ended up uh, getting the getting the tiebreaker. Yeah, I mean, Holon have been somebody called them the Houston Rockets of the BCL because they they play five outs, they everybody shoots, and that's the thing. Like when you when you transcribe that kind of a game to European environment, sometimes you're gonna win close games, sometimes you're going to blow out teams, and sometimes you're going to end up losing a tiebreaker with Smokey wins because I mean, that's kind of a day in the first game. And still, it's going to be, I think that they're still like in the hunt for the second place here, and that game against Cholet on the road will be big for them in the last on the last game day because they, they defeated Cholet by 10. So they basically start that game plus 10 and have to just avoid a 10-point loss in France. And that should be enough for them to advance. Yeah, this um, this uh, victory by Cholet definitely uh, opened the door uh, a little bit and uh, and made things a little more interesting. Have to see what happens to, to Minsk now with um, with Charles leaving. Um, uh, hold, on for, hold on for a second, like. Picture this. So, Colón defeat Ike, Smokey defeat Ike. And Cholet wins against Smokey, and Cholet wins against Hapoel Holon, and we got a four-way tie at 3-3. Three and three. <laughs> I don't know if we'd call that a wait to see, um, but... Uh, <laughs> it could happen. It could, oh. it definitely. We've seen oh, stranger uh, things happen, so... I don't want to take that calculator out. Please don't do it, guys. Uh, Group D, uh, we had uh, Nizhny Novgorod uh, win their second game on the road, 85-66 over Luplin. Down, they are down to 0-3, and, and Saragossa moves to 3-0 and with an 85-76 win over Falco Sympathy. Uh, uh, Falco drops to 1-2. and um, Nizhny, I don't really have too much to say about Nizhny, really. That was... Uh, you know, a game that they should, uh, you know, they were the better team and they, you know, even though they played pretty bad, uh, you know, they basically hit enough three-pointers to to, 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 to blow it out, uh, that 16 of, of 34, 47%. Uh, Shepard played, played really well. Um, but, uh, you know, 
I'll let you talk, and then uh, maybe give some more thoughts about uh, about Saragossa. But uh, your thoughts about these these games? Uh, just a couple of thoughts. I mean, Nizhny, just the more experienced team against Lublin because both teams made so many mistakes, but Nizhny have the experience of playing on a level like this and just knew how to finish out the game, how to close it out without even stressing. And as for Zaragoza, I think this goes in line with our guests on the podcast this week. And the thing that I heard, I think it was on the Ringer podcast. I'm sure who said it, but uh, one thing that really struck was Villanova guys never bust. So basically, Dylan Ennis is here to lead Zaragoza all the way. And we're going to have James Bell to speak more about that. I mean, that's kind of the safe bet that I would take if I were a GM of any kind of club. Just look at Villanova, what they're doing, and pick up a guy, guy from their team to lead your team. Yeah, there's uh, worse guys to take than uh, than Villanova guys for sure. Um, w- one of the things that I was um, that I really uh, watched is uh, TJ Prey. I mean, he came over from uh, from Bayern uh, in the really almost a trade, if you will. Uh, he came on loan for DJ Seeley. And you saw him really control the, the, the game in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, Ennis can be very out of control. Uh, we saw it similarly last year with, uh, Carlos, uh, Allison, the youngster who's, you know, now moved to, to Real Madrid. Um, whereas he was almost the calming force for the, for the, the Tasmanian devil that is Dylan Ennis. <laughs> and then you had TJ Bray do it. And I think do it at a higher level. Um, I think Allison's a better player, but wasn't as experienced and, and mature as, as Bray is at this moment. Uh, but that was really striking in that fourth quarter, how he really just, you know, said, boom, okay, there's your pass, there's your pass, and, and really got things going. I think DJ Bray is, I, I watched a bunch of Rastafesta. Rastafesta, of course, of course. Man, I, I love that guy. I'm usually when I see a tall guy able to play, point guard I me mean, it's crazy that Zaragoza were able to pick him up because I really am high on DJ Bray and I think that he's capable of doing a whole lot more in his career but happy to have him here in the basketball champions league I'm gonna enjoy every single second that he plays because his passes are just so they need to be taught in schools that, that that's just the accuracy the timing the the, the angles that he takes I mean I love that. I really love. It. Yeah, I uh, I was kind of disappointed when he went to Bayern, TJ Bray, um, because you just figured he wouldn't. Uh, well, he wouldn't be able to do anything close to what he was doing with Fechta, and so I'm really happy that he's here because you really have a sense that he's gonna uh, be able to. Um, you saw Allison do a lot last last season, and so I think he's going to be um, he's going to be a big part of this uh, about this team. So. All right, um, let's go to overtime um, and uh, um, the stat of the week. I will let you start. Uh, stat of the week is 19 for me. Uh, that's the number of the three-pointers that uh, Tenerife hit against Galatasaray. And it's basically their club record because it's the second highest uh, number of three-pointers hit the history of uh, 
Basketball Champions League, we had Oldenburg hit 23 pointers, but 19 three pointers is the best ever for Tenerife in first division in Spain, second division in Spain, or Basketball Champions League. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's a lot. Also, a lot is 11, and that's the uh, offensive rebounds by Deshaun Stevens. Um, they had 26 offensive rebounds for the game. Um, yes, you know, Stevens, this isn't the first time that he's had double, di- double digits uh, in offensive rebounds last season. Uh, starting this is actually his first game last year with second division Italian team. He had 10 offensive rebounds in a game where he had 21. And uh, he's averaging f- 5.8 offensive rebounds this season. He did average... 3.4 offensive rebounds last year in the second division in Italy before he then moved up to a first division team in Italy. So, you know, that in that game against Asari, him getting all those offensive rebounds really, you know, getting, you know, that much, that many more chances was just so big in this, in that game. So my stat is 11. Um, that's, all, that's also a record tied. Exactly. Because, uh, Usman and Rame had 11 offensive rebounds for Cortez last season. And back in season one, OD Anosike, he plays for Varese. He, he had 11 offensive rebounds. Exactly. Uh, overreaction. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to say I'm a little worried. I know you, you, you talked to me off the, off the cliff, if you will, but I'm a little worried that Ike is too, um, uh, Keith Langford dependent, especially later in games, they were cruising. And one of the reasons why they were, were, were playing so well, one of the reasons was also because Yannick Marrera, who obviously we all love, um, you know, he had 17 points in the first 23 minutes. He took one shot, took one shot over the rest of the game, scored two points. And, and that was on the other quote shot. That was a tip in. So they, you know, scored 17. He had, I think he had uh, 13 in the first, in the first, um, in the first half. And, uh, you know, there was offense was going through him and, uh, and then nothing. And so, you know, it, it kind of worries me something, you know, every now and again, when I watch, I, I, I just, I see there's a lot of Langford, you know, as, as, and that's good and, and bad, but, and, and sometimes that worries me a little bit. Yep. I, I see your point, but still, so so much like damage over the past four seasons that I'm willing to say they're gonna somehow figure it out and make it over the hump. Uh, but I have that kind of concern with Dinamo Sassari because they mm-hmm. dropped the three and one, and my overreaction is that they could be out because they have to play Tenerife in San Cristobal de la Laguna, and they have to play Galatasaray in Istanbul on the last game day. So. You drop the three and three, you could be out. Yeah, but a lot, of ha- lot has to happen for them to get into a into a tie there, and and it's not a, it's not impossible. I, I didn't want to call Cesare out that that they weren't going to make it, but I, I totally understand you. Totally understand you. All right, did you know what do you got? Uh, we we kind of like Nizhny Novgorod became basically like when you have to pick up one of their stars, it's always the coach. Zoran Lukic is the, the, the 
legend of Nizhny Novgorod and he's the face of the basketball in Nizhny Novgorod. But he's been there for nine seasons from now, I think, or even more, like nine or ten seasons. And he only had like one year in Banvit and that's it. He's been in Nizhny his entire career. But he started as an assistant coach and <laughs> you usually see people doing assistant coaching jobs in Europe, but he was the assistant coach of India. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh-huh. There you go. Did you know? I did, I did not. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, that must have been a long time ago. Uh, yeah. I mean, like 15 years ago. Uh-huh. Okay. Interesting. He probably coached, um, who was the big, uh, their, their best player? Um, God, what's his name? The guy who played for the Kings, Sacramento Kings, I cannot remember. Yeah, anyhow. The guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, my my, did you know is uh, did you know is that Noenze um, uh, Idiaza? I probably butchered that really bad uh, from Bamberg. And Keen Anderson uh, from Saco uh, Falco Simpati both played in the same high school. Uh, they played at Fort Worth in Fort Worth, Texas for North Crowley. And another North Crowley alumni is the aforementioned Keith Langford. Ooh, man. I think they're, they're watching a lot of BCL over there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, biggest surprise. Uh, I guess it's my turn to go first. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm going to say um, there's, I mean, there's, there's two big surprises and, and um, I think I'm going to go with back and bears um, just because, you know, things to really seem to be rolling for Sasari. And, and, and I, I, I was, I kind of, I don't remember if I actually did say it, but I know it was, I was thinking about it, that Sasari was one of the teams that you kind of, that, that wish that the break didn't happen because they were really rolling. I know you said they played a lot of games, but they were playing really good basketball and, uh, and Bakken, you know, they, um, and, and Bakken was, I don't even know, maybe, maybe, maybe I even said it that, you know, this is good for them because now they can, you know, get some, get some winning, uh, uh, you know, experience then back at home. Um, but, uh, just the fact that, uh, okay, uh, maybe a, you know, five point victory or whatever, but the blowout is without a doubt, a, a shock for me. What do you got? I mean, I, I kind of assumed that you're going to pick that one. So <laughs> I'm going <gonna> to say, <laughs> say that the biggest surprise is, Nimburg's ease of winning because uh, they changed a whole lot of their team. They don't have Zach Hankins in the middle. Uh, they don't have Jaromir Vohacic, who was their kind of leader over the past couple of years. Uh, they brought in a bunch of new guys. Retino Basohan is turning out to be a fabulous signing for them. And Wojtek Ruban is doing Wojtek Ruban stuff. So it's still a huge surprise to me to see them cruising to, through this group with Dijon, Topash, and Keravas. They're up at 3-1 and one and think it, it, there would be have, I mean, some kind of weird miracle would have to happen not to have Nimburg in the next round. I, I don't I, there's no, for me, there's nothing that can happen that, that uh, I mean, oh, of course, did but... You, did, you think, did you think that they were 
were so good. Uh, no, no. Like you said, I mean, especially with Bocek leaving, you know, he was really such a huge part of that team. And, 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 and also that Zimmerman hasn't been what they thought he was going to, you know, they were hoping that he was going to be. And that was actually their second center that they brought in. They brought in another guy. I can't even remember uh, what his name was originally. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that... Um, all right. So for, for those who, who celebrate uh, Christmas coming up, uh, we decided to um, give a, a gift. Um, uh, if you were Santa Claus and uh, had a gift to give somebody, who, who would you give what to? Okay, so I'm going to go with Sassari because I already said that they're the closest thing I have to a Croatian team in the BCL okay. with three Croatian players and Bozeko, who was... Uh, basically living in Zagreb for a couple of years when he was assistant coach of Cedevita. Uh, so one thing that I would give them for Christmas is a guy that I just mentioned, Zach Hankins, because I think he's still a free agent. He's recovering from an injury. They need another big guy in their rotation. Otherwise, Miro Bilan is going to pass out on the court mm-hmm. because he's playing 40 minutes every single game. So you get one other guy like Hankins in there to do this stuff, to Play above the rim, some beautiful stuff could happen for Sassari this season. Above the rim at both at both ends, um, and, exactly. and that's one exactly. thing that they, especially the the big, you know, Bilan is is not a, a you know uber athletic guy, um, but uh, yeah, good one. Uh, I went a little bit different, and uh, I'm I'm going to give a comfort blanket um, to Smoky Minsk for losing. Um, <laughs> Uh, Maxim Salish, you know, as as much as we enjoyed watching him play, I was I was I was I was so happy to be able to to watch him um, play the season and and have them here. Uh, but he's really such a big part of that team and 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 gives them so many different you know uh, weapons and and whatnot, does different things. And and now um, you know losing, I mean, it's another weapon for Burgos. What do they need? You know. <laughs> <laughs> They just sent. They just sent. Uh, Who did they send on loan to 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 Bilbao? You know, and they're like, okay, we'll bring in Salash. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they they just had an upgrade in the tenth player role. I mean, yeah, exactly, place. exactly. And and so basically, it's a it's a comfort level, a comfort blanket because they're done now. I mean, there's if if they make it, then you know you really have to tip your hat to 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 Ferramenko and 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 Lowry, but. I, I don't see them having having any chance now, really. Um, so comfort comfort blanket, you know, with, uh, for for um, for Christmas for them. All right, uh, let's move to the interview of the week. We talked to James Bell from Happy Casa Brindisi, so we'll catch you on the other side of that. All right, so on the show this week we have James Bell from Happy Casa Brindisi. Uh, James, uh, thanks for taking some time. Uh, thank you for having me. Appreciate the opportunity. Um, we, uh, we, uh, you have a, a week off this week and, uh, actually have had uh, some time off now since, uh, uh, since we had the FIBA window, uh, since you guys last played and, uh, your last game was, uh, was a big victory. Uh, you beat Ostend, uh, on the road, 92, 80. Uh, it was actually a 26 point lead for a while. Never really in, 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 in doubt. Um, and they, they did get it down to nine. And then um, I I think that it's actually kind of a big deal that that D'Angelo hit the the Harrison hit the three at the at the buzzer you know that could actually end up you know making um, 
I'm sure you guys hope not. Um, it could make a difference uh, as far as points goes. But, but uh, you know, I guess it was probably felt good to get that victory um, after losing the the game before to to Burgos. Maybe just talk about that last game against Osten where you guys really um, showed uh, what you guys have been doing really all season. Um, so we, we, we were making shots early. Um, whenever you're making shots, the game is easy. Um, no discredit to them. They're a great team, well-coached, um, a lot of talent, but, uh, we were making shots that night. And honestly, if, if we can make shots along with defend, we're, we're tough to beat. Um, down the stretch, they got it close. Uh, they switched up some actions. Their coach definitely made a good adjustment. Uh, like you said, it was a 26 point lead, but, uh, they fought back like every good team does. And it was a great game. And, and and like you said, uh, him making that three at the buzzer was definitely big because, you know, in these competitions, sometimes it comes down to those points, but hopefully it's not that close. Yeah, hopefully. exactly. Um, mentioned the, 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 the loss at Burgos, uh, a 22 point loss. I know it seems like it's been a long time ago. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe just what happened in Spain, you guys only had the nine points in the, uh, in the third quarter in that one. Oh uh, yeah, that, that was that was a great team. Um, they're they're well really experienced. Uh, they know each other. Seem like they've been playing with the same core group of guys for a, a, a year or two now, and uh, they they had it going. Um, all credit to them. They had a good scheme coming in. Uh, Benite didn't even play, but they they really played well that night, and they they gave us a couple things to uh, work on in practice. You know, I think we came back and got better and. Tried to show that in our next match. That loss actually snapped a ten-game uh, winning streak among all, uh, among all competitions. And uh, right now, if I'm not mistaken, you have a ten-game winning streak in Italy. Um, you know, including handing Milano their first loss of the season in Milan. Uh, what would you say is clicking right now so well for you guys? Um, I, I feel like as a team, we all have the same goals, and honestly, nobody cares who gets the credit. Uh, one night it might be my night. One night it may be D'Angelo's night. One night Derek may have it going. One night Darius may have it going. Or Nick, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But we really don't care who gets the credit. We really just end up playing good basketball. And I, I think as you can see on the court, we just play for each other. Going back a little bit, um, uh, I see you're, you're from Plainfield, New Jersey, grew up uh, in New Jersey, and then ended up going down to uh, uh, Florida. Uh, if I were to ask you what basketball was like for you growing up, uh, I guess that kind of depends on when you actually started basketball. You know, what would you say it was like? We, we kind of like to ask, you know, like if a guy's from, from Chicago or if he's from New York, you know, what was it like growing up in that, um, in that neighborhood, whatever? And then maybe also some of your gr- role models growing up. Um, for me, it was just a way to stay out of trouble. Uh, I, I spent some time my my grandmother's, my grandparents' house growing up, and uh, they always they had a park across the street, um, so they could watch me from the house, and it was always just something that all my friends were doing, or all the kids in the park were doing, and I just I, I, I somebody saw some talent in me and just kept working with me. But for me, it was just something to do. They they wouldn't let me stay in the house and. It was a sport. I could stay in shape. All my friends were doing it, and that's what was the most important was 
But uh, basketball for me growing up was was an outlet. You know what I mean. And role models. Uh, as far as basketball players, sure, sure. Um, let's. I, I, a lot of people wouldn't notice about me, but one of my favorite players ever was uh, Brandon Roy. Mm-hmm. Just, just the things he could do on the court, how he could score, how he could defend, level of athlete he was. He could really do it all. And that's kind of what I wanted my game to be at the end of the day. But uh, Brandon Roy, surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, ended up going down to Florida uh, to go to high school uh, last two years. If I'm not mistaken, it was the last two years that you ended up at the at Mount Verde, which was not yet uh, the, uh, I think we, it's fair to say, superpower that it is. Um, I'm tr- trying to figure out maybe some of the guys you played with. I, I think you probably played with Hulker Paulson, the, the Icelandic from I, at, at, at Andorra. Is that right? I did play with Hulk. Yeah. Hulk was my guy. Um, and did you play with so Landry? Was he there too? No, no call? Uh, so Landry was maybe two years after me, I believe. After you. Okay. I don't right. think he's a year younger than me. I think he's two years younger than me. But uh, I, other than Hawk, I don't think any of the guys that I played high school with are still like pursuing professional careers. Okay. But there we had a we had a couple guys um with the big colleges. Um but uh so not a lot of us around still playing. Yeah. Um if I'm not mistaken you may have also been there uh at the same time as Francisco Lindor. I don't know how a bunch I, of I definitely a... I was definitely there with Francisco. Did you watch much of him and and Oh, uh, for sure. We so I I lived on campus at Mount Verde. So really quick, really really quick for for those who don't know, Francisco Lindor is is really one of the best young uh, baseball players uh, in in the major league. So for sure, Francisco was an uh, amazing athlete. Um, even from high school, he was ranked really high in the nation. Um, played for the USA team, but we we all had a pretty close relationship, being that we all lived there. Um, everything we did was together. And uh, it's an interesting place to spend high school at. Yeah, and like I said, now it's it's. I mean, you look at the guys coming out. Uh, not only Americans, uh, everywhere, you know, from from all over, all over the world, going there. It's it's pretty amazing what what uh, what kind of a uh, uh, talent factor that they've got going down there now. Right, they definitely figure something out. Uh, before your freshman season, you went to, uh, you went to Villanova and, uh, you had to have, I guess you'd been having, uh, problems with your shins, uh, and you ended up having, uh, metal rods put in both shins and, and in actually in September, uh, this was 2010, you actually had a walker in September and then, um, <laughs> and I guess it was the day after Thanksgiving. So that was, uh, you know, I guess maybe like two and a half, uh, I guess what, two and a half months later, uh, you were back on the court against Tennessee. Uh, maybe just talk about that, you know, obviously, you know, wanting to get everything going in Villanova, um, actually just coming off uh, an amazing performance, uh, NCAA Final Four, everything. Um, just talk about, you know, the frustration of not really being able to to get going right away. Um, For one, I, even even if I was healthy, I, I'm not sure I would have had the, the greatest freshman year, Not not doubting myself or anything I can do. But I played behind some uh, amazing upperclassmen, um, Corey Stokes, Corey Fisher, Malik Waynes. And uh, in that program, you got to pay your dues. Mm. Uh, it's about playing for the people that played before you. And Coach Wright really gets that across and really conveys that to his guys. 
And uh, I, as much as I played my freshman year, I don't know if I was ready to play that high-level basketball yet. But he gave me an opportunity, and I'm forever grateful. After that freshman season, you actually uh, went to to uh, Latvia to play with the USA national team at the under nineteen uh, FIBA Basketball World Cup, uh, playing against some pretty big names uh, in in the in the world game right now. If you look at uh, Jonas Valanciunas, you guys beat him. He had twenty thirty and fifteen plus four blocks. You guys ended up losing to Dario Saric uh, um, and uh, also uh, Dmitry Kuligan with Russia. Um, right. maybe just, uh, some of your rec recollections, biggest recollections, uh, from that tournament, you guys lost, uh, like I said, to Russia in the quarters and ended up getting uh fifth place in that, um, you know, just maybe some of the, you know, playing with USA on your chest and everything else, just maybe, uh, some of your favorite memories of that time, even though maybe the results weren't, weren't what you wanted. Um, just, a, just a group of guys, uh, played against some amazing talent. Um, some guys that were in my league in college, as far as my teammates, uh, Jeremy Lamb, Doug McDermott. Um, just just being able to compete, like you said, with that U USA across our chest. I mean, we didn't come out with the, the end result we wanted. Um, it, it was just a wonderful opportunity for a kid from New Jersey to see the country at such a young age. I mean, see the world at such a young age. And then playing against the talent like you named, I think Dario Sarge was a little younger than we were, but you could tell his talent was there. Kulagin, Valatunis was a monster. Mm. It was it, it was just a great time, and we got a chance to see the other side of basketball, the European aspect of basketball. It it was a it, it doesn't seem like it was so long ago, but looking back, it, it's crazy how fast time flies. Yeah, 2011. Um, Let's uh, fast forward to your senior season. Uh, actually, 2012-13 was the first losing season under Jay Wright, and then 2013-14. Uh, I think you, you guys didn't win. Uh, you guys didn't win a, a championship, but you really have to say uh, just a magical season. If you look at the the teams that you beat uh, at the Atlantis, you guys beat number two Kansas in the championship game. You beat uh, number twenty three Iowa. Uh, knocked off Louisville uh, in in January, uh, and then there was the the amazing a uh, couple of days later Syracuse overtime where you had a couple of big baskets in overtime. That was number three, number seventeen, Marquette. Uh, in March you had uh, Georgetown uh, at number five at the time. Um, for for a team that really didn't uh, get into the rankings that much that season, um, but obviously some of those fantastic upsets. Maybe maybe what. What was your, you know, kids, you know, parents have always say, you know, I don't have a favorite kid of looking at some of those upsets and, and amazing upsets. Maybe what was your favorite um, or just looking back on that magical season, your, your final one at Villanova, uh, what really stands out the most? Um, uh, the battle for Atlantis, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think people had big expectations for us coming into that year. Um like you said, we came off a losing season a couple of years before, and uh, we we knew that we weren't far off of where Coach Wright wanted us to be as a team, as far as playing the right basketball, the correct basketball. And and at that point, it was just a group of guys that were bought in. Like you said, uh, we all realized that everybody had to sacrifice for us to be a good team, but we had names on that team like Dylan Ennis, Darren Hilliard. Um, 
I mean, we, we had a great team and we, we started playing like it. Uh, we got good, good minutes from the young guys, uh, Josh Hart at the time, Chris Jenkins. But, uh, I think we, we started to figure out what Villanova basketball was. And I think that carried throughout the year. Yeah. And that, that program, which had already been great, uh, and then really took off again after that, um, for those who don't understand it, uh, playing four years of the Big Five uh, in Philadelphia—that's uh, sort of a um, there's big there's five uh, uh, colleges right there in Philadelphia: Villanova, Temple, Penn, uh, St. Joe's, and LaSalle. Um, just you know, with all the tradition, uh, and you know, we we've talked uh, over the life of this podcast with people from Philadelphia um, and what Philadelphia basketball is all about. Just but maybe talk about for those who might not really get an understanding what is that big five like um the basketball tradition in philadelphia runs very deep um even being a guy that wasn't from the area um not understanding how big those moments were like when you're villanova versus temple that goes back to i, I don't even know how many years i don't even want to disrespect it <laughs> exactly but just but just playing against those guys, you see them every summer, you work out with them, you see them when you go to eat, and you, you always want to beat the best, and you always want to be the best in the city. And, uh, it, was, it was great just to get a chance to play guys you grew up with, but with different circumstances and great coaches. Um, the Big Five was definitely an experience. Uh, we, we got our, our rivalries in there, the St. Joe's, the Temple's. But uh, it's just great, hard, tough basketball. Uh, you then ended up in Cremona in Italy. Your first year played with uh, a couple of uh, getting older a little bit, uh, Luca Vitali and, and uh, Marco Cusin. And then really your second season uh, was with Nancy in, in France where you were playing with the 38-year-old at the time, Andy Penko. And 34-year-old Florent Petros, maybe you know. It always seems to me that that when a when a young player has a chance to play alongside and and sort of learn the profession, let's say, um, uh, you know that that seems really valuable. Maybe what did you learn? You know, I, I, it seems to me maybe most from those two guys more in I'll say that second year. Um, Andy was everything you want to be as a pro player. Uh, he was about the game of basketball. He took care of his body. Um, he was almost another coach on the floor. Between him, Flo Petrus, and Michael Petrus by the end of the year, uh, it was no nobody else you want to learn the game from. Mm -hmm. um, all professionals, all very good at the game of basketball. And, and being able to bounce ideas, being able to take things away from their games, on and off the court, it's just in my second year. I mean, I couldn't replace that experience. Third season, you ended up in uh, in Israel at Halon, and then went to Dashafaka uh, and uh, ended up winning the Euro Cup. We'll come to that in a minute. But if you look at Italy, uh, France, Halon, and uh, and Dashafaka, you know some really good. Uh, some really good crowds, some really good, uh, you know, countries that really value basketball. Maybe just your your thoughts, you know, kind of looking back on, on on your learning experience, let's say, in the European game. 
Um, being able to play for coaches like Alan Bass and Nancy, um, Coach Black and mm-hmm. Darish Africa, just the basketball, even not even from an athletic standpoint, but from a, a mental standpoint and learning the game. Um, there's nobody better to learn the game from than, let's say, a Coach Black. Uh, but I, I think in those couple years, the game slowed down for me, but just because I understood it on a different level because of those great coaches that I was able to learn from. Um, we had great teams. We had great individuals. But um, more than anything, those coaches stress like having good character on their teams. And uh, it, it showed on the court. We all respected each other. We all played for each other. And that's what it takes to have a good team. Uh, Dasha Faka ended up winning the Euro Cup, as we said, and that was 2018, uh, with a guy that uh, we in the uh, BCL certainly missed with Howard St. Rose. Uh, really, I think that was his sort of breakout year where, you know, uh, really showed uh, the all of Europe what a great defender he is. Um, you ended up breaking your foot in March in the opening game of the quarterfinals against Burushnos. Maybe just and then obviously missed the, uh, the 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 final run to the title. Maybe how difficult, how hard was that? You know, uh, not being able to play and and watch the team uh, and 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 help them get to um, the the moment that you guys all have been fighting for. Uh, it was definitely hard. You never want to go down with an injury, but you never want to go down an injury in the playoffs either. Um, we worked so hard that whole year. And uh, for me, it was it was just timing. You, you can't control everything, but what what you can control, you should do your hardest. And uh, after I got hurt, um, I just tried to stay positive, tried to stay around the team, went to every practice, was at every game. Uh, I didn't go home, and I think it brought me closer with those guys, even though I wasn't even playing. Um, I felt like they appreciated me being there and supporting them. And at the same time, they did the same thing for me through my rehab. And uh, we were able to do something great. That was a great group of guys, great team. But uh, it was rough not being able to be out there. I can imagine. I can imagine. Uh, the next season, you you started with Sedavita, and then made the the, the jump to Budushnos and 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 played for the first time in the Euroleague. Uh, back back home, you ended up taking the uh, Montenegro double. Um, but what did you think about the jump to the Euroleague? I think you ended up playing uh, whatever it was, 15, 16 games in the in the Euroleague. Um, every night you got to be ready to play. Um, playing some amazing historic gyms, playing against some amazing players, uh, the Spanulises, the Sergio Yules, the Princes. You know what I mean? There's Every every game was the biggest game of the season just because that's what that competition is. Um, but it was definitely a learning experience, and it definitely showed you where you could be or if you work hard or set your goals right. Because I'm not going to say at the end of the day. Every, everybody would like to play on that stage, and I was happy to be there. Uh, last season, uh, you missed the beginning of it kind of through uh, some physical uh, or, or uh, some uh, physical con- issue, whatnot, um, and you ended up only playing uh, a couple of games then with uh, Prometheus in, in Greece. Obviously, 2019 season, uh, 2019, 20, 
season, uh, just with uh, the end of it being, uh, you know, be taken away by by the the COVID nineteen uh, virus and and everything else. Um, you know, obviously there's that, uh, but but looking back, not having much playing time. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, then going through and, and, you know, trying to find a new club, getting, getting fully fit and, and finding a new club and everything else. Um, and then, uh, everything that happened, what do you, what do you take most from the 2019, 20 season? Um, that I, I think I said this earlier, but you just have to control what you can control. Um, so when it came to basketball for me, Basketball was almost on the back burner. Um, like you said, I had that health ex- I had that health scare, um, and it was just bigger than the game for me. Um, my focus was getting healthy, and then after getting healthy, I uh, found a club that gave me an opportunity. And uh, I'm forever thankful for the Patriots organization, coaching staff, my teammates. But uh, I was happy to be back on the court, happy to be back at full strength. Um, season ended early, but like I said, you can't control everything. And and what I could control, I tried to put my best forward, my best foot forward in. And I mean, things ended be- not the best with the virus, but that we're get another chance to do it, God willing. And this season's been a lot better. Yeah, um, you ended up signing with Brindisi then. Uh, a return to Italy and heading down all the way to the heel of the boot of the country. I'm sure you've had to tell plenty of people where Brindisi is in Italy. Um, what, what did you think about coming back to Italy? You know, you had been at, at Cremona, uh, your first season, uh, in professional basketball and, and now you're coming back. Um, you know what to expect from the league, high level basketball. Um, I knew what to expect from the coach. I know some people that played for uh, Coach Batucci before, but um, high-level organization. Um, I knew they were going to bring in high-character guys. Um, but honestly, for me, it was about being comfortable. Um, going into this year in my career, uh, you you want to have that stability. And they came to me with a proposal early and they checked all the boxes and I'm here. And we're having a great season. Yeah, um, we like to have we like to give uh, the uh, listeners of the podcast, followers of the BCL, a chance to ask players some questions. Uh, LBJ nine 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 six eight six D asks, uh, "Do you miss Halone? That was obviously the place where you spent the third, <laughs> the third season. Uh, how can you not miss Israel? But Halone is a special place. Uh, they they have a basketball tradition there, and their fans are probably top five fans in Europe, in my opinion. To, for me, they're up there. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of people, including David uh, David Amar underscore Lil Lil Gents, Aldo Invidia, uh, and Alberto uh, Sturda uh, ask. What do you think about the city of Brindisi and the supporters and uh, any messages for them? Um, what do I think about the city? I love the city. It's not too, not too big, not too small. 
But uh, everybody loves the game of basketball here. Everybody's really passionate about the team. Um, I know our games would be crazy if we could have fans. But uh, we, we appreciate all the support. Hope everybody bear with us through this rough time. Hopefully we can get some fans in the gym eventually and uh, keep this thing going. Yeah, Alberto for Perona asks, um, did you expect the beginning of the season like this? Um, I know I expected us to give our all every game. Um, like I said, the, the Italian league is very talented. Um, it's very balanced. You know, you can expect the game every night. But uh, after after a week or two of practices, I, I, I felt like we would definitely be up there in the standings. Um, Coach put together a very nice team, and we, we play well together. Uh, expectations for the rest of the season in Italy. Uh, like we said, you guys are, are uh, 10 and 1, just like Milano. Sassari have shown in the BCL how strong they can be. You have to imagine that uh, Virtus Bologna will figure things out. And you also have Omana uh, Raya um, uh, uh, Venice. Uh, maybe just your expectations for the uh, rest of the season in, in Italy first. Um, I know there's a lot of basketball to be played. Um, we don't look forward to any one game or any one match, but uh, we just have to take our next game and treat it as the biggest game of the year. Whoever it happens to be, take it one game at a time. And I, I honestly don't know where we finish. Um, right now, everything is to get a good seed in the cup. And then after the cup, it'll be the, for great seeding in the playoffs. And I can't tell you where we'll end up, but I know we'll leave it on the floor. Yeah. Uh, back to the BCL then uh, to sort of close it off. Uh, f- next game after the longer break is the return leg against uh, Ostend. Uh, maybe, and they obviously you know really need a win to 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 get back into the race for the next stage. Uh, expectations for that game? You know, we mentioned uh, there's the 12 point uh, victory that uh, you guys had. Uh, what do you th- What are you expecting from Ostend? Um, I'm, I'm expecting them to come out and fight. Uh, look like they found some late into the game. I'm expecting them. I'm expecting them to lead off where they stopped in the last game. Um, it'll definitely be a fight, but I think we'll definitely be ready. And the final game day of the group is against Burgos at home. I know, I know, game by game, uh, but I'm sure there's a little part of the part of you guys that say you that you really look forward to that one uh, after them, you know, really handing it to you um, uh, back in uh, in Spain. Oh, uh, you you always you're always happy when you get a chance to play a team that beats you, and especially beat us like that. But uh, like I said, we we don't really look forward to any one game, any one match. Um, we just right now we're preparing for uh, Pesaro in our Italian league, and then it'll be time to focus on Usted. Usted, I'm not sure if I pronounce that right. Usted, uh, Usted. Yeah. When, when when time comes, I, I feel like we'll be prepared and we'll definitely give it a better effort than we gave it the first time. Yeah. Uh, all right. Fantastic, uh, James Bell from Happy Casa Brindisi. Thanks for taking some time and and taking a stroll down memory lane with us. And uh, good luck. Oh, thank uh, you. Good luck uh, the rest of the season. I appreciate that. Okay. 
Okay. So, um, yeah, James Bell, um, uh, a lot of different things. Um, and, uh, you know, any, any time a guy who's injured and is not able to, uh, not able to, uh, to, to enjoy the victory, uh, you know, like, uh, with, with, uh, Dasha Faku winning the, the Euro cup title, you always have to, you know, feel bad, uh, or feel for the guy a little bit. Um, but you know, this team is, you know, Brindisi is a year late, uh, from, from my prediction from last year playing really well. And, uh, but they're doing it this year in the really high in your rankings. So what do you think of, uh, James Bell and, and, uh, what he, uh, is doing for Brindisi and that team? I know you'd like them a lot. Yeah. I mean, they had a statement win against, uh, Milano in the Italian league, which just proves their point. They're, they're just amazing. I mean, I mean, I'm not sure how to even put it in words the growth of this team, that they're doing what Sassari did like five years ago when Sassari won uh, the Italian league. Kind of hanging out in the back, building up a strong core with the same kind of players that play there. Uh, Darius Thompson is obviously the brain of the team. Then you bring in a guy like D'Angelo Harrison who can do whatever he does. And then to all of that, top it off, you put in belt to knock down shots when like, th- there's no not a single moment that you can relax against Brindisi now that they have Bell on this team because he's the, he's the guy who can give them a pair of three-pointers whenever they need it and that's it. He's, he's going to do the damage and they won't even notice it. He, he has kind of I feel that he could have the role of Salin in Tenerife in terms of killing you silently and that's it. Yeah, um, like I said, too bad it's a year a year too late for for them. Um, uh, I think you said Final Four last year. They didn't make it out of the Final Four of their group, so that was that was fun. Yes, that was fun. Exactly. That was fun. All right, yeah, let's mo- um, you know, I honestly underestimated them, but they've proven me wrong every single time they're out on the course, and I'm so happy for them because I'm a big fan of Italian league, and everybody knows it by now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's coming back up, coming back up. Uh, let's move to uh, next week, um, the week of Christmas games, uh, the week of games of, during Christmas fun week, um, kind of a week of truth I, I wrote down for Group uh, G. Um, really quick. Uh, group uh, a Tuesday. There's five games planned. Uh, one game day five makeup with Falco against uh, uh, Saragossa, and then there's the huge game uh, Egokea Jerusalem. In Group G, the two Group H games are Dashavaka Burgos and Brindisi Ostend, and then Group E has Peristeri Strasbourg. Uh, sticking to that one, uh, that group, that group of games. I imagine probably Ikea, uh, and um, Jerusalem probably the game you're most interested in watching. Yeah, exactly. Especially because um, the way it's planned, they're gonna play on Tuesday and on Thursday, so they're they're gonna have a couple of games against each other in a matter of two days. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like NBA kind of tempo and NBA kind of matchup when you see the same guys two straight times in a couple of days. Uh, so that's the thing that I'll keep an eye on next week. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday is, uh, in, uh, is a group as a game day five makeup in group D Nizni against Lublin. Um, and then there's group E others, the other game, Fafriga Ritas, uh, group F has, 
Kashiaka uh, and Bamberg, and then Bilbao uh, at home against Fortitudo. And then the other Group G game is Limoges and Turk Telecom Ankara. And Thursday is the is the return leg Jerusalem Ego KF game day six makeup uh, game that you're watching on uh, on Wednesday. Garciaka against Bamberg. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the Ritas uh, the Ritas game at 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 at, at Fev is uh, uh, is yeah. obviously with the point differential, everything in that group is is going to be interesting as well. But that Kashiaka game uh, after losing uh, a tight game in in, in Germany is going to be big. Exactly, and a huge test for Bamberg to see how serious they are. Uh, I mean, they already are serious because they're three and zero. But this this could be like the turning point. Um, for coach and the guys to see that if they win away at home, uh, away on on the road in Izmir, then they they are capable of winning the basketball champions league. Well, I mean, they've if they win in Izmir, then they're three and zero on the road. You know, uh, and that's so this, this is this could be the turning point in their heads. This could be the boost of optimism they need to pick up a trophy this season. Yeah, yeah, and um, and that Egokea Jerusalem, uh, those two games, um, especially because you just mentioned it. I mean, the you know the fact that they're playing, you know, within whatever it is forty eight hours or whatever it is, um, with with uh, with those two with those two teams being one and one, and the whole group was at one and one going into that game day, if you will. Um, you know, every point's going to make so much difference, and then with so little time to turn it around and make adjustments from the first game um you know that's that's going to be a huge game uh, both of those games are going to be a huge game really i think i think even more is that second game um i think the team that's going to be able to adjust the best and then to really um get the 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 the, the point differential out of those two games um i think that's really the thing to watch Playoff basketball before playoff basketball. Without a doubt. All right. Um, that's uh, the show this week. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter or Instagram, the handle is at BasketballCL. Please like us on Facebook. Subgri- subscribe to the YouTube channel. There's the mobile app. The, e- the email address is info at championsleague.basketball. You can subscribe to the podcast. Uh, check out everything, all the copy on championsleague.basketball is the website. All of the games are live and on demand, so you can watch them anytime you want on livebasketball.tv. Igor, uh, maybe what's your uh, any last messages to send to the wonderful listeners? Um, not really, just stay safe, people, because uh, <laughs> it's going to be a long winter, it seems. Totally agree. Totally agree. Thanks uh, for listening to the show. Obviously, uh, so much appreciated. And uh, we will talk to you next week. And also, very Merry Christmas for those celebrating.